You know, I was uh, just watching that video then and just looking out and seeing many of you fanning yourselves. It's very, very hot, isn't it? It's, it's, it's super hot. And, you know, all I, all I can say is, I get it, I know. <laughs> um, the Bible says the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. You know, there's, um, inside of us, we want to we wanna, we wanna engage, we want to pray, we want to hear God's word. But physically, sometimes, there's all kinds of different reasons it's hard. And I guess all I want to say is just kind of, Physically, hang in there, um, uh, keep fanning, um, bless each other, fan your mates every now and then, because um, this is massive. Where we get to today, it's so important that you, that you hear this. Thank you so much for journeying uh, with us over these days. This is our last morning together in this way. Obviously, we're all together with the younger ones tomorrow, and the forecast is to be slightly cooler tomorrow. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you've, you know, we've been traveling this journey together and it's so good to be able to conclude it today and um, look at this whole idea of virtual humanity. You know, what, what does it mean to be a human? Who are we? Uh, what was in God's mind? What was in God's intention and his heart and his purpose when he, when he created us? And we looked on day one, that we've been made in his image, that we were made and created to rule uh, on his behalf and to demonstrate to the whole of creation that there is a God and what he's like by being in relationship with him and by being made in his image and showing what he's like through, through us being like him, what an honor, what a privilege, made to rule, not made to be ruled, not created to be ruled by all kinds of different powers and forces and anxieties and fears and phobias and kind of selfish desires. We were not created to be ruled by those things, but to rule over creation. And then on day two, we looked at when it went wrong, when Adam and Eve, they, they, they sinned, they disobeyed God. And in that sense, they, they took us with them. They took us into, into darkness, into corruption, into fallenness. And that and the, the reality of the human situation became a, a difficult, a tragic story whereby we still carry the image of God, but it's been ruined. It doesn't look like how it should. And, and every part of us gets impacted by the disease of sin. And, and, we, and we find ourselves groping around in the dark, spiritually severed from God, no longer able to naturally connect with him. All kinds of thoughts and ideas about things where we're, we're not centered on the center anymore and so we get caught up with created things and we turn our worship hose onto whatever we can find and then find that none of it satisfies and it's the, it's the darkness and the sadness and the tragedy of the fallen condition of humanity and then hallelujah yesterday we looked at the glory of being born again that God in his mercy would send his son to create this way for us where we could be reconnected whereby our spirit could be resurrected and quickened and made alive to God again and through union with Jesus Christ we could come into adoption and in a relationship with God and we could come into being a, 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 um, not just adopted but brought right into the very heart of God's purpose and, 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 and co-laboring with him to begin to rediscover our purpose in God and we looked at that and, um, and then today, stage four, resurrected humanity. Now you're going you're gonna to have to follow me on this. You've already followed me with some pretty big biblical themes. Um, this one, this is big. Okay, so you're going to have to follow me and do your best to just engage on this. I'm going to try and make it as clear as possible. Um, okay, now you remember, don't you, that it's all about union with Christ, that because we were united with Adam, in that sense we're brought into his disobedience, brought into his 
guilt and condemnation and death, but then through being born again and reaching out and joy, being joined in faith with Jesus, then his righteousness is given to us as a gift. All, all, of, all the reward of his obedience is just given to us because we are in him, we're under his headship now, we're transferred out of Adam and into Christ. And just like all the things that were true of Adam get put into our account, all the things that are true of Jesus Christ get into, put into our account as a gift and it's over the top. And it's, it, 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 God didn't need to do it as extravagant as he did, but he's done it out of his heart of generous, incredible, overflowing, zealous, transforming covenant love that he has for us in Jesus Christ. And so we've got to remember this idea that if you are born again, you have died with Jesus Christ. That in that sense, you, you were on the cross with him. That just as he died a death to sin, that you died to sin with him, the Bible says. And the Bible says that through baptism... You were buried with him into death. So, so when we get baptized as believers, it's more than just a symbol. It's a spiritual reality. It's something of, it speaks to such a powerful and real way of our union with Christ that we are united with him through baptism into burial, just as he was buried and we are raised up with him into newness of life. This is what the Bible says. It's the wonder and the glory of baptism. It's why we sink people into the water and bring them back up. It's this burial into death, death to the old, death to sin, death to Satan, death to all of that. And then we come up and new life, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So union with Christ is what it's all about. And so all that is true of Jesus becomes true of us. If you understand that, you, 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 that will really help you in the Christian walk. All that is true of him has become true of me in the sense of what he's accomplished there. He takes me with him now because I'm joined to him. He, he did it. It's his effort. It's his amazing victory. But I, just through clinging to him by faith, I get brought into all that he has accomplished. That's why we call it the grace of God. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. I did nothing for it. It's, it did have to be worked for, but he did the work. It's not just free. You know, some, most free things are free because they're rubbish. Frankly, that's why they're free. And so we want to make sure that we understand this. This isn't free because, oh yeah, a bit of salvation. No, no, no. This is the most costly thing to have ever happened. But he paid the cost. He, he paid the price. He bore our sins and judgment for our sins in his body. So freely now, as we cling to him in faith, we are brought into his victory. It's union with Christ. It's a really important thing. You have to understand that. Otherwise, you'll go wrong um, in, a certain, in a certain way. What is true of him becomes true of us. And so what we realize is this. Now, this is where you've got to follow me now. At the resurrection of Jesus, three days after he died, he was risen from the dead. It's actually a, it's essential and core to the whole gospel that he rose from the dead. We don't just mean in a spiritual sense, like his spirit rose. He physically rose from the dead. It's essential. You'll see why as we go through. He rose from the grave and he, he appeared to many witnesses over a period of 40 days. And, um, but here's what you need to understand. The resurrection of Jesus, in a sense, was the beginning of the resurrection of humanity. There's a, there's, a, there's a term that if you know your Bible, you might be familiar with, called first fruits. And the idea of first fruits is this. If you're into agriculture, uh, uh, sowing seeds and growing things, you'll be familiar with this. Often when you sow something, what happens is, is that you get a bit of a harvest but it's not the full harvest. So one or two things come through, and, and, and it, but it's a sign that the harvest is coming. That's the first fruits. So if you, if you grow some little things in your garden or a window box or something or in a field, what happens is, is that stuff comes through first. It's not the full harvest, 
but it's a sign that there is a full harvest coming. And the Bible says that Jesus is the first fruits from among the dead. So when Jesus rose from the dead, it's a sign that there's a resurrection harvest coming. It's guaranteed, but the full harvest is not coming yet. There is one that has come, the first fruits, Jesus Christ. So in a sense, he kind of ushers in the age of resurrection to some degree. And so in a sense, when you are born again, therefore you're joined with Christ and you're raised with Christ into his victory. To one extent, you could almost say being born again and being resurrected are the same thing, but they basically don't happen at exactly the same time. Or I put it differently. When you're born again, resurrection happens on the inside, but resurrection doesn't happen to your complete being until, until, until the moment of harvest, the moment of resurrection when Jesus returns, which is what we're going to look at today. So if you are born again, you will be resurrected because resurrection has started on the inside, which is why the Bible says that when you're born again, this is, you've got to get this, when you're born again, even though your body continues to decay, i.e. your body continues to get older and older in this age, your spirit, your inner man gets renewed every day. You get younger and younger every day. And that's one of the ways when you know you've been born again, because you're going, do you know what? I am getting older. Definitely my body is decaying. But you know what? On the inside, I'm getting younger. I'm, at, I'm more joyful. I'm more full of life. I'm more, I'm more, I've got more of the youth and the spring of life about me internally than I've ever had because, I, because I've been born again. And that's how resurrection works. It's, it, 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 it's at a different order. So everything in this age decays. Everything in this age rusts, spoils and fades. Everything in the resurrected order, it, it's, not, it's, not, um, it's not a victim to that. It just, it just gets newer and newer. It's, it's, it's an absolute miracle. And so as we look at the age of the resurrection today, I want you to understand that it's kind of started in this age for those that are born again, but it'll come to its full fruition at the return of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? All right, let's read from the book of Romans together. There's going to be some really big insights for you here about creation and and, and natural disasters and all kinds of stuff. So you really need to concentrate here. We're going to read Romans uh, chapter 8. Uh, verse, we're going to go from verse 18. It's going to come up on the screen. Um, so Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom the, sorry attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God for we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Thank you for your word, Lord. We love your word. We love your revelation. I want to just bring you a few insights from this passage. Number one, you need to understand there's a relationship between the creation itself and the sons of God, those who are born again. The reason why the, the, the Bible normally uses the word sons and not sons and daughters, though sometimes it says sons and daughters, the reason it says sons is not because it's talking about just men. It's because in the Bible times, if you were a son, you were an heir. 
If you're a son, then you've got, part, you've got the inheritance. And so what it's saying is this. If you are joined to Jesus Christ, you're a son of God in that sense. Whether you're a man or a woman, you are an heir with Christ. There is a huge inheritance for you in Christ. And this scripture says this, that the creation itself is longing for the sons of God to be revealed. The creation itself is longing. Creation in some bizarre kind of way, kind of knows in and of itself that there is a, there is a people that God is calling out from fallen humanity and he's making them his sons. There's a, and, and, and we've not been fully revealed yet because it's a work that's going on on the inside. Our full glory's not been yet revealed. It's an inside work. It's, a, it's that, like I said a minute ago, it's just in the spirit in that sense at the moment. But creation in, it, in itself is longing for that day when we will be revealed. Because on the day we are revealed, creation will be set free from decay. Creation itself will be set free from bondage. All the, all the nasty things that go on in creation, even things like um, earthquakes and those things, the Bible says they're labor pains. They're like labor pains. Creation itself is burdened with the sin that came in through Adam and Eve and it's under this kind of curse of futility, if you like, and it's longing and waiting and for, the, for the new creation to give birth to the new heaven and the new earth. It's longing for its liberation into a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And in the meantime, there's these labor pains. When you see these things going on in creation, it's creation in labor longing for that moment where we will be revealed, where the children of God will be revealed. And so creation is groaning, longing. The, the, the words they use there, the, the idea is, is that creation is on tiptoes, craning its neck, waiting for that moment, longing for that moment. And so we, even though when terrible things happen in the earth, we feel the sadness and the compassion of it. We're not surprised and we're not, we're not confounded by it. We know what's going on. We understand Jesus warned us about this. But it also says here that we ourselves are groaning. We ourselves are longing. There's something that happens in us when we're born again. And it's like God comes in and the Bible describes it like there's a treasure, but it's inside just a normal like a jar of clay, like an old clay pot. And what it means is this, is that what God does in us when we're born again cannot be fully contained in our current body. It's too much. And so we groan because we got long to be clothed with a body that will be able to fully express the glory of what God is doing inside of me. And currently, we, we can't express it fully because this body's decaying. It's, it's, it's great. It's a gift from God. The body's not wrong or bad. It's a good thing, part of God's good creation. But it's not fitted out for the next age. It's not fitted out for glory. So it can't really fully contain or express all that God is doing inside of us. And so there's this longing. There's this groaning. It's important you understand that as a, as a born-again Christian at these times where you just go, oh, Lord. And you find, you go, how long, Lord? And there's this groan. And sometimes you can't even put words to it. It's such a, it comes from such a deep place. And you think, what's going on? Am I going weird? No, it's in the Bible. It's your deepest inner man, your deepest spirit, that spirit part of you, longing, just longing for that moment of glory that is, that is to come. And so we need to understand these things, really. Um, and I want to just focus now on that moment I want to take us to that moment in history, that moment where every groan will be fulfilled, that moment where every longing will come to its fruition, when we move into the final stage. And Jesus says some things that I want to just quickly read here um, from the Gospel of John. It's going to come up on the screen, a couple of verses. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, sorry, John chapter 5, verse 28. Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I'll read that again. It's just a short passage. Don't marvel at this. An hour's coming when all who are in the tombs, 
will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All will be resurrected, but to two different kinds of resurrections. Jesus is very clear there. All will be resurrected, but only the born again will be resurrected to life. The fallen, those who have refused God's offer of mercy, those who have refused God's offer of forgiveness in Christ, those who have said, no, I'm all right as I am, thank you. No, I'll find my own way to righteousness or whatever, will be raised to a resurrection of judgment. Now, I'll explain the purpose of the resurrection to judgment towards the end. We'll get there. But I want to, first of all, just explore what that resurrection moment, will, will it actually be like? What will it be like? What will it be like when Jesus comes again? And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Like I said to you at the start of this week, I'm not up here to tell you my opinions. My opinions count for nothing. They're no better than your opinions. I'm up here to bring to you the Word of God, just reading it and explaining it so you know what the Bible really teaches. That's what you need to know. The authority is in there. The authority is not inherently in me. The authority is in the Word of God. That's why I'm reading it to you, showing you where it is. You can look it up. I'm just explaining it, letting the Word of God run loose. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read from verse 50 to verse 54. So I'll tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so it's a moment. There's a moment coming that every eye will see. Jesus is clear. He said like the lightning goes from the east to the west. When I return, every eye will see. So please do not follow weirdos that tell you they are Jesus Christ who has come back but no one noticed. All right, they're not telling you the truth. They are deceived and they are deceivers. Okay, never, never get into a group or a cult. As I'm speaking now, the Holy Spirit is showing me there's some of you here. Either not involved, but there's a, there's a, there's a connection or there's even a temptation to connect. And, and it's some kind of Jesus type figure. Let me tell you now that person is deceived and a deceiver. That person is operating against the word of God. That person will not take you anywhere good. They will take you down spiritual dead ends that will involve a lot of healing and restoration afterwards. Cut yourself off as radically as you can from that. Okay, the Bible is very, very clear. These things are massive. This day, this moment will be so penetrating. So penetrating that not just the, those who are alive across the globe will see it at the same time. But this trumpet blast will be so penetrating that even the souls of the dead will be quickened by it. It will summon death itself to give up those who are in its power and in its grasp. Anyone who has ever lived, great or small, from time immemorial to today, will be raised in that moment when that trumpet blasts, that angelic spiritual trumpet blast, that voice that's like a trumpet. Now, whether this scripture here means that the fallen who are raised, whether it means that they are clothed with the imperishable so that they are prepared for a judgment that will last forever, so that they are fitted out with a body that will be able to receive judgment that will last forever. I don't know that. I don't know that. But I do know this. Those who are born again at this moment will be clothed with a brand new body. And that which has been started on the inside now in this age will come to its full expression 
and the Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, so your new body will not be made of flesh and blood, and yet it will be physical. And we probably the best idea we understand, we get of what the resurrected body will be like is, is those 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, and he visited people to, so they would be eyewitnesses, and we, we can pick up certain clues. It's probably the closest idea we've got to what it would be like. Jesus would appear in locked rooms, just appear in locked rooms. And so this resurrection body was not hindered uh, by physical barriers, and yet he ate fish. He made a point of eating fish to demonstrate he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't just a spirit. He'd been raised physically. So it's all the good stuff, guys. It's all the stuff you dream of. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm serious. You know, there's like a real big rise in superhero stuff lately and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm, not, I'm not going there, right? Don't get scared. But what I'm saying, I, I think that what drives that, there's something that it's rooted in. There's something that it's rooted in that there's a, there's a kernel of truth in that. That the, that the body that the Lord will give us, that will be able to house this eternal, extraordinary work of being born again, will not be hindered or limited by physical things. It won't, be, it won't be prone in any way to weakness. It won't be prone in any way to sickness. It won't be prone in any way to death. And yet it will be physical. We will be able to enjoy our best food. Hallelujah! We'll be, we'll be feasting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It, will, it won't just be kind of ethereal, kind of uh, spirity. It will be spiritual, the Bible says, but also physical. And it's the coming together in this most fulfilled and glorious and, and full way. It's, it's the coming together of heaven and earth in the most full and complete and glorious way. That's what is going on there. We'll be able to fully contain the glory of the resurrected spirit that we already have in us through being born again. Now I want to just ask a question at the moment because some of you might be thinking, this sounds like fantasy. This just sounds like fantasy. Let me tell you now, right now, the way we live betrays the actual truth very often. The, 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 the way we respond in our deepest, most unguarded moments often, often displays what the truth is. And here's, here's something I've observed about people. The one thing that is universal about people is that they die. The one thing that we all have in common, every one of us, is that we will die. We know it from our first, I guess, moment of understanding. We begin to, we begin to find out about this idea, and we all know it. And, and, and the longer we live, the more we realize it, because the more loved ones we lose. And yet, why is it that we still respond the way we do to death? Why is it that we weep? It is the most illogical thing a human does that they weep at funerals and weep at the death of loved ones. It's illogical. It makes no sense. Why? Because it's inevitable. We know, it's gonna, we know that is going to happen more than we know anything else is going to happen in a natural sense. And yet why is it that we weep and we cry and there's something deep in us that says this shouldn't be happening. The reason why is this, is that death is not part of God's original creation. Death is not part of God's perfect plan. Death is an enemy. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. We know because we know, because we know deeper than anything else that we should not die. And the death is not natural, although it is natural in the, in the natural sense, but that's because creation has fallen. That's why it's now natural. But it is not part of God's original creation. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to put it to you that this is not fantasy, but this connects with our deepest knowledge and our deepest understanding, deep, deep in our gut, that we were not made to die, that we were made for eternity. And that this sense of loss that we experience at death is because something in us says, hold on a minute, this is wrong. It's inevitable but it's wrong. Now remember Romans 8. Romans 8 said that creation will be liberated 
when the sons of God are revealed. So Jesus returns, the dead are raised at his trumpet. We receive these brand new bodies. Creation at this point is liberated. Revelation 21, coming into land. Revelation 21 says this, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read it. It's going to come up on the screen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, or a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. It's hard to know whether the Bible teaches us that it's actually a new heaven and a new earth, or whether it's just totally renewed. It's hard to know. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. That doesn't mean there's going to be no ocean in the new creation. Basically, in Revelation, a very symbolic book, the oceans represent chaos, represent trouble and war. That's why it says there's going to be no more sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Listen to this. A loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. In that moment, creation itself is totally liberated and you've got new humanity under new head, Jesus, clothed in a new body, living forever in a brand new creation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a wonder. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's a revelation. I love it where it says, write this down for these words. They're trustworthy and they're true. You can bank your whole life on them. Now, verse 8 says this. I wanted to read verse 8 because it suddenly you go, oh, but I want to read it. It's important. Let's read on. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, otherwise known as hell. So I've just spoken about an age where all tears will be gone, like Garden of Eden with a turbo injection. Why, why, why is verse 8 there? Why is, why is that there on the end? It's important. There's two reasons why you need to know that's right bang in there and why I decided I'm not going to leave that bit off. I'm going to read that bit. You say, well, why? Here's why. Number one, God is a God of justice. Can you imagine a judge uh, uh, who, who just let, let someone off? They, everyone knew they were guilty. Everyone knew what they'd done. The judge said, you know what, don't worry about it. Everyone would be up, in uproar. Why? Because that judge needs to, be, needs to be removed. Why? Because there's no justice. Where's the justice gone? This is the moment where every wrong gets put right. And everyone who has not brought their sin to the cross, everyone who said, no, I can atone for my own sin, or my sin doesn't matter, or, or how dare you say what I do is sin, God, I'll decide what's right and wrong. Everyone who's done that will be judged for their sin. And every mouth will be silenced. And God will be shown to be utterly true and utterly right. And the things that we've said are good, but that are sinful, will be shown to be what they truly are, which is totally dark and totally depraved. And so justice has to be done. And so that's the first reason why it's ever so important. You understand it. The second thing is this. The only way the new heavens and the new earth are going to be safe 
The only way they're not going to be vulnerable, like in the Garden of Eden, it was vulnerable. Sin came in. Darkness came in and ruined everything. The new heavens and the new earth will not be vulnerable in any way. You'll never have to worry. Will it go right in the future? Like, is it going to go wrong? You'll never have to worry. Why? Because everyone and everything that does not want to part with Jesus... Everyone and everything that does not want to be part of the new creation. Everyone and everything who has chosen in their own will not to be part with Jesus, then they will have what they choose. And they will not be in the new heavens and the new earth. As a result, those who are there are there from a place of love for the Lord. They want to be there. They want to be there. They've been made brand new by His grace. And there's no room, no space, no possibility for any kind of darkness to ever enter there. And so it is the safest place for the whole of eternity, and it will be for us. That's why and it's important that we understand that it is a good thing. Now, I want to ask the three questions, then we're going to wrap it up. What's the purpose of the new creation? What's the purpose as resurrected humanity? Number one, that we are face-to-face with God. We are made to be face-to-face with Him. You will never be face-to-face with Him in this age. You might have visions of God by the Holy Spirit, but you'll never be face-to-face with Him. If you were face-to-face with Him, you would die. Your body couldn't handle it. That would be the end of you. Okay, so, but you will, be, you will see Him face-to-face. This is the ultimate destiny of every human being. And He Himself, I love this. It doesn't say that He'll send an angel to wipe away your tears. It doesn't say that He'll, he'll find someone nice who can look after you. It says God Himself will wipe away every, every tear. He will look in your face with the eyes of perfect love, all-knowing, knowing everything that's gone on, knowing the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs, every detail and contour of your life. And he himself, he'll wipe away your tears. And the uh, Bible says that you will know as you are known. The Bible says that. When you see him face to face in that moment, you'll be changed into his likeness perfectly. And you'll know him as you're known. Somehow that, I I can't even explain it. I can only tell you that it's true. That in the way that he sees into your very depths and knows the very depths of your whole being, somehow you through that face-to-face encounter will be enabled to look into the very depths of his being and know him fully. You will know him as you are known. No longer like in a rusty or smoky or steamed up mirror, but face to face. And the harmony of heaven and earth will be perfected. Heaven and earth comes together in perfection and you will rule the new creation with him. You will rule whatever that looks like. The Bible says we'll judge angels. I don't know. We will rule the new creation with him. That's our purpose for eternity. The pleasures, the pleasures of resurrected humanity are fullness of joy. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. Well, you'll be fully in his presence so it will be fullness of joy forever and ever and ever, fullness of glory, fullness of wonder, uh, total healing, total justice, no anxiety, no fear, no curse, no mourning, no concern about tomorrow and what might happen, uh, no n- uh, nagging thing about what we're going to do about that, no, 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 none of that, just utter perfect peace that will endure forever. Uh, and uh, fullness of joy. And so it's not, it's not boring. There's nothing boring about it. It's just that moment of ecstasy. That, think about your greatest moment of joy or peace uh, that you've ever experienced in this life, but it just goes on and on and on. That's what it is. That's, that's God's purpose for us. That's the grace of God for us. That's the generosity and the wideness. And it's open to anyone. So you know, you know God didn't make hell for unbelievers. God made hell for Satan. The Bible says that the, the lake of fire has been, has been prepared 
for, for, for Satan and his angels. That's who it was made for. The Bible says it's God's will that none should perish. It's God's will that none should perish. God's, the Bible says that God's desire is that all will come to knowledge of the truth. Okay, God loves to show mercy. This is his desire. This is his desire for fallen, broken, rebellious, selfish, depraved humanity. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. That's why we go, oh my goodness, it's not just God forgives because that's what he does. It's God, God forgives because, because his love is immense and his love is awesome and beyond exclamation, explanation. Final question, what are the problems and what are the pain in the new creation? This is going to be a short point. There aren't any. <laughs> there aren't any. None. Literally none. Literally none because the, the three problems are the flesh, the world and the devil. Remember yesterday. So the flesh, this body that I live with, with indwelling sin in it, it's gone. Got a brand new body. So there is no longer that flesh to crucify. The world, that, that system of society that kind of promotes lust and pride and that whole organisation of humanity, not putting Christ in the centre but other things. The world system that, that God hates is it's, it's terrible. It's, 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 it, the Satan is behind it, pulling the strings. Well, that is going to be completely done away with forever. So there will be no system that is trying to get you to lust or trying to get you to be proud. The whole system will be based under the headship of Jesus Christ as King, under the government of Christ over every single nation. And so that every system will be built on his righteousness and his justice. So there is no world and there's no devil. Well, other than the fact that there is one, but he's been eternally tormented, tormented in the lake of fire where his torment will go up forever and ever and ever. And he has no freedom to do anything anymore, to deceive, to seduce, to attack. Absolutely no liberty under eternal torment and judgment for what he has done. God will oversee the proceedings. God oversees these things. The devil is not in charge in hell. God is. It's God's judgment that oversees hell forever. The devil is being punished in hell. The hell is the place where he is punished. There's sometimes this idea that you go there, the devil's there, and he's punishing people. No, 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 no. God created hell for the devil and his angels to punish them there for their rebellion. And he will also assign, assign the, un the unbelievers there, those who have resisted, the gospel resisted Jesus, will also end up there. Because in resisting Jesus, you align yourself with Satan. It's the reality of it, biblically. And so that's how this thing works. So how do we now live in the light of that? I'm going to wrap up now. I'm going to do about two more minutes. Jesus says it like this. It's how we live. This is in John 12. This is important. Listen carefully because it's strong language, but I'll explain it to you. Jesus says, John 12, verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, let me just explain. He's not saying you should hate your life. He's not talking about self-hate or anything like that. He's saying in comparison, in comparison to what is to come. It should be like you hate this life. What does he mean? He means this. You have got permission to travel light. You have got permission to live in this age for eternity. You have got permission not to be bogged down with the anxieties of this life, the anxieties of this age, the heaviness, the, the, the things that threaten constantly to fill our horizon and make us worry and anxious. Jesus says, do you know what? There should be something about you that goes, pah. He's not like you have to be, no, he's not saying be irresponsible, but there must be something in you that goes, do you know what? Pah, we've got eternity. That is a sign of spiritual maturity. That is a sign that you have to engage with the reality of life and the difficulties of life, yes. But, you know, compared to where we're going, he says, travel light. Travel light. Come on. Don't get boring. Don't become 
Don't become a middle-aged, bored, boring Christian, whatever you do. I'm not saying all middle-aged Christians are boring. Hopefully I'm not boring. I'm middle-aged, right? But it can happen. You can just, you get excited about God and then you just, before you know it, you're just attending church and you're still giving a bit of money and attending church, but you think, what am I? And then you're singing songs on a Sunday and then a few years later you think, I don't know what these songs mean anymore because I'm just kind of going through the motions and then you think, oh, what's the point? Oh, God have mercy on that. That's horrible. Jesus says, do you know what? Come on adventure with me. Give your heart. Give your heart for his kingdom and his righteousness. Give your talents. Give your resources. Let's go for it. Let's go for broke. Jesus went for broke. His followers went for broke. They absolutely went for it. Most of them ended up losing their life, but they went for it for Jesus. Go for it. Tell people about Jesus. You know, in our, in our current climate, there'll be a growing cost to that. You have to go, do you know what? I'm going to hate my life a bit. I'm going I'm to have to, I'm going to have to, God's been dealing with me on this saying, I'm going to just try and prepare your heart for people to hate you. Just prepare, just, he's just preparing me for that. Why? Because if I don't get prepared for that, I'm going to be enslaved to what people think of me and their opinions. I'll live for this age. I'll get bogged down. I don't want that. I want to live for eternity. Hallelujah. Look at what he's bought for us. We can live light. We can live free. We can absolutely go for it for the glory of God. It is a sound investment to invest in his kingdom where things do not rust, do not spoil, do not fade, do not get boring. Everything in this life if you put your whole heart in it, if, oh, it's rusty now. Oh, I've lost it. Oh, it got stolen. Oh, it's boring now. There's something about every, the, the, the next stage where it gets newer and newer and newer. Invest in the kingdom. You will become brighter and fresher and more of a joy to be around. I'll leave you with one quote, and I'm going to ask you to, to respond to this message. Here we go. This is by a man who lost his life, reaching a, reaching a group of people for Jesus who didn't want to hear about it. He says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. I'll read that to you again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. We cannot keep anything in this life. We came in naked, we will leave it naked. Who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Eternal things that will never rust or fade. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing some glory songs in just a moment. Maybe uh, the band could make their way out. We're going to sing some glory songs, but, but I'm going to ask you this. If you just think, you know, you know, you know you're born again and you've, you've heard about your destiny, your future destiny today and you're going, do you know what? I'm in. I'm flipping in. I want to go for, I want to go for this. I want to just run for Jesus. I want to travel light. I want to get some stories of faith, stories of trust. I want to say, Jesus, come on, what are we doing? I'm all in. I'm going I'm I'm to full on trust you. If you just know that you, today you want to say that, you want, there's something in your gut that's going, yeah, yeah, why don't you stand where you are? You think, yeah, I want this. I want this kingdom. I want the Holy Spirit. I want adventure. I don't want to become boring, bored. I want all you've got, Lord. I want all you've got. Here I am. Here I am. I'm all yours, Jesus. I'm all yours, Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a short prayer and we're going to sing some glory songs. And as I say in this prayer, just kind of take it as your own. You haven't got to repeat it word for word, but just take it as your own and offer it to God. Lord, here we are. You gave everything for us. When we were helpless, lost, couldn't do a thing, dead in our sin, you gave everything for us so that you might have a people that could be your own people that could walk with you closely, that could have a relationship with you, that could know you, be loved by you and love you, that could believe you and trust you, 
that could help rule this creation, that could bring your light into the darkness. And we just want to say today, Lord, yeah. I want to say a big, fat yes to you today, Jesus. I want to say yes to you. I want to just give you my yes. If you've stood up, give him your yes. Make it loud. Give him your yes. Tell him your yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Here we are. We love you, Lord. You're amazing. You're amazing. There's no one like you. You're amazing. We want to honour you, glorify you, and lift up your name. Amen.